Hey tennis fans and welcome to episode four of Match Point Canada, the official Tennis Canada podcast. And from the City of Lights, we have our second Grand Slam of the tennis season at Roland Garros, the 123rd edition of the one and only French Open. Our only slam of the year played on the clay court surface. Defending champions Rafael Nadal and Simona Halep are just two of many competing for the crown. Uh, before we get right into the thick of the draw, now our special guest for this week, he's a writer for the New York Times and he's kind enough to join us from Paris. Uh, please welcome Christopher Clary. Christopher, thanks so much for uh, taking the time tonight to join us. Yeah, it's a pleasure. Everybody's kind of a come down after your first guest, Bianca Andrescu, but we'll take what we can get, right? That's the way it works, right? <laughs> I suppose you could put it that way, but uh, we are thrilled to have you. Uh, obviously, we have so many storylines at this event, as we always do at a Grand Slam. Uh, Novak Djokovic, of course, trying for a calendar slam on the men's side, while Nadal is aiming for a 12th. Uh, what to you, I guess, on the men's side stands out as maybe, maybe the biggest storyline of, of this fortnight? You know, it's. It, it, I think Djokovic is. Um, I don't consider it a, a true Grand Slam just because I, I feel like it has to be in the calendar year. That's the way it's always been defined. But it's an it's amazing achievement, and I think it was under underplayed the last time around because he never won the French. So that was where the focus was. So I think that's that's the biggest story is him chasing that for sure. Um, and then always with Nadal, it's been that way for years now. So can anybody anybody knock him off? And it's so rare that it happens. His whole arc of the season has been quite interesting with him building up strength. And you got you know Dominic Team who could take him out. So um, and how Federer will play. But I really think for me it's it's as the tournament builds, it's Djokovic's quest and to get his due because it, it would be a phenomenal achievement to do it twice. And uh, as you mentioned, Roger Federer, first time uh, back on the clay surface in, in three years and uh, looked pretty sharp in that first round win, beating uh, the Italian uh, Senego 6-2, 6-4, 6 I know you had an opportunity to see that match. Federer, for maybe the first time in a long time, is kind of entering an event as, as a dark horse, really. Uh, what do you think of his form so far? And is he the type of player that could maybe make a deep run into the second week? You know, I think he's been a, a bit of a dark horse at the French Open for quite a while. I mean, he's missed it obviously since 15, but I think in his own mind, I mean, I spent some time with him um, in Switzerland, actually, was fortunate enough to do that before uh, he played in Madrid. I went up for for a day and watched him train and had a big, long interview with him. And I just feel like he feels very relaxed because I don't think he feels the pressure that he's felt in the past. I think he felt the expectations of his, of his own expectations. But now he's coming in feeling like it's it's all kind of gravy for him. And uh, loose, feeling like he can take some chances. I think he played a nice amount of clay court tennis coming in here with the tournaments in Madrid, adding a couple matches in Rome. And I think he's uh, he's been training well, and I think he really b- kind of believes that it's a good time to play on it. And uh, he could go deep for sure. He's got a strange draw in that he's probably gonna, he's going to play if he keeps winning. You know, three guys in the first three rounds he's never played before, which is pretty crazy. And then uh, the same thing could be true of Nadal actually. Um, Potentially as well. So these guys have been around long enough that it's all starting to become a bit more uh, <laughs> of an adventure in terms of discovery. But Rogers has played well so far, I think, in the season. He's attacked a lot, come to net selectively, played some serve and volley as well. So he's mixing his tactics nicely and looks very, uh, you know, fit moving laterally and forward. So he'll be dangerous. Christopher, I think a lot of your readers and, and myself included were a little bit jealous that you got to spend that uh, quality time one on one with the all-time Grand Slam leader. Uh, I really enjoyed that picture you took of Federer on his own sort of cleaning the lines on the, uh, the clay court. That was just, uh, I don't know, it just had an impact on me as I, as I looked at it. So uh, your photography career, I think, also has some, some true potential there. But uh, <laughs> what, um, 
What surprised you the most? Um, I mean, obviously you've spoken with Roger before over the years, but what surprised you or what did you learn maybe about him that you hadn't before getting to have that one-on-one time? Well, I have interviewed Roger dozens of times over the years. I first met him when he was, uh, he kicked our tails uh, at a Davis Cup uh, match in Basel, Switzerland back in, I think, 2001. I first really got a chance to interview him at length, so it's been, what, 18 years of a lot of off-and-on interviews. So I've seen him in a lot of different settings, but I've never really seen him in Switzerland, uh, you know, that way. I interviewed him once near his place in Zurich, but I'd never seen him up during a training session. So it was fun to see how he did it. Um, Very small club, just four courts, and uh, kind of some local club members that, you know, partly enjoy being in the club because they get to watch Roger once in a while, (laughs) which is a a pretty good deal. And he had the mountains behind with the snow on. The ski season had just ended, and uh, he was playing at similar altitude to Madrid. So it was just really a great setting, very Swiss. You could hear the cows in the background and, you know, you could river going by. And it was just a very cool place to, to play tennis and to see these people. And, and the thing also that's interesting is that, you know, I think um, he's very proud of being Swiss. But the Swiss, that at least that I saw, don't, you know, it's not a big pandemonium scene, not a big hassle for him. He definitely... Uh, um, is treated with respect. I mean, he signs the autograph after the session. People wait around, but it's all very, uh, very low key. And I think that's that fits him well, and it allows him to really kind of rebuild his strength and come back out on the circuit, where it's obviously a very different setting and vibe. Yeah, not the same as. But he's, he was just very relaxed, you know, as he, as he often is. And it was a, a privilege to get a chance to sit down and talk with him. We all went went for a couple different stories, a couple of which have already run, and it's, it was really a, you know, a memorable experience. Definitely sounds different than the packed stadium we see in Paris for just a practice session that uh, that he's hosting before the tournament. Yeah, it's, it's it's a whole different world. I mean, that sort of when he's off the circuit and uh, you know with his family and just picking his spots. And he trains in small clubs around that area. He has a house up there in the in the, in the Alps, but he kind of picks the spots where the I think the vibe is like that. And, and then when he goes back out to you know be the center of attention, he's ready for it and feels refreshed and rebooted. So aside from Roger being back at the French Open for the first time since 2015, which is a big change in itself, what, what other changes have you noticed so far this year around the grounds at uh, Roland Garros? You know, I feel like I need a tour guide. I mean, I've been coming here since 1991, um, so it's a long time. This is my 28th French Open, and uh, I, you know, it's definitely uh, I'm going into the wrong corner, having to turn around and have to ask directions, and, and it's, it's, it's just changed so much this year because of the the new court and the new in the in the gardens nearby and the way they've re- reconfigured Chatrier and courts that have been destroyed in the last uh, couple of years more to come i think they're on the right track it's a great setup in terms of the uh the aesthetics of it and you know i i miss some of the history in the old courts they've gotten rid of but i think it's if they can make it a less crowded place and give themselves the room they need to uh you know, to make it work uh, long-term, it's definitely great to be still in Paris because the only other option was to head out to the suburbs, and I think it would have lost, you know, its soul in doing that. So it's, for me, I'm just, it's just a, a surprise to be surprised, <laughs> <laughs> frankly. You are listening to Matchpoint Canada. Remember, you can find us on Twitter at Matchpoint Can. And our special guest this week on episode four is Christopher Clary of the New York Times. Now, you mentioned uh, going to this event, uh, having having the privilege to go uh, since back in 1991. And uh, looking through those years, uh, we, we've seen so many great French Open champions. Uh, looking back to uh, Bruguera, Tomas Muster, Gustavo Kerton. Uh, I gather you've never seen a French Open champion quite like Rafael Nadal, uh, who's now 
87-2 and two on the surface with uh, that first round victory. I- I'm getting the sense, though, that people are a little bit torn on stapling him as the favorite for this event, That which, which frankly surprises me. Are, are you getting the vibe that Nadal feels he is the favorite? And in terms of, uh, you, I guess, your opinion on, on the equation, does it have to be him or is it Novak considering he has won the last three? Well, many people feel like best of five, you always have to pick Rafa until you're proven otherwise. I, I would I would put Novak and, and Rafa right together this year, I think, just based on Djokovic's uh, victory over him in Australia, the way he played uh, you know, on clay before he got really tired, I think, in Italy. He got tired in the end for that final. I don't think he had much left. Um, I think they're right up together. And if they end up beating in the final, it should be a, a classic match. Nadal's you know, playing, uh, playing very well again. Uh, if he stays healthy, you never know with Rafa anymore. And any tournament that he plays, whether he'll get through healthy, it's been a problem for him in recent years more and more. But those two are cut above, and I would put, um, you know, team, if he plays to his level, just, you know, maybe a, a good solid notch behind them. Here in Canada, we we had a couple of hopefuls. Uh, obviously, the big one on clay was Felix Ojeda-Aliassime. Unfortunately, had to withdraw from the event, and Denis Shapovalov exited early. Uh, so, I guess as you kind of navigate through the draw, looking for some some other dark horses or, or players to to do some damage apart from uh, within the big three and these two who uh, we are maybe predicting a final, what other names are maybe standing out to you on the surface? Perhaps uh, Fabio Fanini. I know Juan Martín del Potro was in the semifinals uh, last year, but uh, his health might be in question. Are there any names maybe jumping out at you? Yeah, Del Delpo looked good uh, today. Very good. Uh, I didn't see all the match, but it looked like he you know, was playing some strong tennis. He's obviously played well in the lead-up as well with obviously very little um, you know, court time coming in to these uh, clay court tournaments here. So I think he could be dangerous for sure. Um, Sitsipas has proven he can play the big players on the big stages and do well, and he's he likes clay and could do very well here. Um, he's got a high seating now, so he's protected a bit in the early rounds. I think uh, Novak could have an interesting challenge if he all goes according to, to plan here. If he plays Chorich, which I think would come in the uh, in the fourth round. Chorich is a tough customer, very good player. So has a lot of experience beating the top guys as well, so that could be a tough match. Um, you know, I think uh, those are the main guys. I mean, obviously, Gail Monfils uh, has got a great clay court game and is a great talent. I personally think he's underachieved like a lot of people in his career, but he seems really motivated this year. He's healthy again, can play some great tennis when he's when he's fired up, and he's got the crowd behind him, and I think everybody knows this is one of his last chances to go really deep here. So he could be an interesting person to watch, too. There are a bunch of French guys in the second round, 13 guys got through. Mm-hmm. So um, I think he's, of all of them, he's the most dangerous this year, for sure. And Benoit Paris played well, too, um, in the clay court season, and he's very unpredictable and flashy guy with that great backhand. Powerful player. Now on the men's side, it uh, it seems like almost anybody's a dark ho- horse outside of those those big two you talk about in Rafa and Novak. But if we transition over to the women's side, certainly there's uh, some more more depth and more players that seem to have a a very valid opportunity here in in Paris. That that being said, we haven't had a repeat champion at the French Open on the women's side since Justine Henin did it uh, when she captured three in a row from 2005 to 2007. But does it seem to you that perhaps Simona Halep uh, has a pretty decent shot, uh, especially with the way her draw has now opened up as Petra Kvitova, unfortunately, had to withdraw with uh, injury? Yeah, that'll help. I mean, obviously, if you play a lot of tough three-setters going into the final stages, it's going to you know, wear you out a little bit more. Halep, you know, in pure terms of, of clay court tennis, aside from Serena probably in her prime with her weapons, I mean, Simona is 
should be, you know, the clay court favorite in that sense. But I, you know, you never know the way women's tennis is going. So many players could emerge. It's really, I still think, even with some of the withdrawals and the early defeats, that you're looking at, you know, double-digit players who could win the tournament. And um, and I think Simona certainly near the top of that list. But there are other players that could that could also do well depending on the conditions. And and then you've got some young talents who could also emerge, like uh, like Bianca. Um, although she hasn't had enough tennis, I don't think, on clay to really be uh, a championship contender, but she has the talent to do it. I'm, I'm a firm believer after watching her in Indian Wells. Well, our Canadian listeners will be happy to hear that. And uh, Bianca did get through her first round match uh, spread over two days. And, and Serena got through hers as well, despite dropping the uh, opening set. The two are on a collision course if they can win their, their next matches to meet in the third round, which uh, I think for many uh, women's tennis fans would be a, a must-watch match between the all-time great and a player that uh, we're all very excited about uh, coming up to see what she can do. Both of them have missed considerable amount of time uh, lately due to injuries. How would you uh, set that one up between the rising Canadian star and uh, the American legend? Love to see that match. Be fascinating because uh, you know Bianca has so many ways she can uh, impact the opposition. Um, really plays an all-court game. Loves to come to net. She did very, very well today in her in her match over the two days. Actually, she had a lot of struggles with her baseline consistency, but she was really effective at the net. Um, but she's got a tough one. She's got to play Sophia Kennan, who's uh, obviously a very talented young American. We got a bunch of those. Um, I don't think we have anybody quite as talented as Bianca, but Sophia is very good, and she's been playing Bianca for years. And juniors, they know each other well. Played this year already, um, so I think uh, that's a tough match considering how how little tennis Bianca has played in the last couple months. She gets through that though, and does play Serena. And Serena's got a a very winnable match against Nara, who's ranked in the 200s um, um, coming in. So she really should get through that match. She plays like she did the end of her match against Diachenko. But I, I think Andrescu and Serena, if it ends up happening, would be terrific. You know, for the first week of the French Open, I think it would be the match in a lot of ways. And I just feel like you know, Serena's got to play very, very well to diffuse some of Bianca's uh, things. It'll depend a lot on how Bianca returns. Serena's serve. But I think she can move her. And if you move Serena at this stage and get her on the, on the stretch, your chances increase. And... Uh, we look forward to that match. In terms of health status, I certainly feel more confident right now, to be honest, with Bianca's health. She told us recently on our program that what doctors initially said would take eight weeks to heal with her shoulder only took her four and a half before she was ready to go again in practice. Whereas Serena, as you mentioned in your recent article, talking about primal scream therapy, uh, which helped her <laughs> sort of uh, turn the tables in a recent match. I mean, she was in a wheelchair a week ago for precautionary reasons, but still that didn't really give off the, the confident vibe that you'd like to see if you're a Serena fan going in. What, what did you notice in terms of her movement and, uh, and how that knee was affecting her in that first round match? Well, first of all, as you all know, and we all know, I've been watching Serena play tennis for covering her for 20 years. You just never know. You never know. I mean, I think the, the, now the odds are higher than ever that her body will break down, but there's always a chance that she can hit this beautiful little window and then things come together and she gets her rhythm and, and it starts to work for her. I think the odds are against that. Um, but in terms of her movement in the match against Diachenko, first set was one of the worst I've seen her play recently. Very, very tight, um, struggling to really move her legs at all. But I think that was more to do with nerves, frankly, than it was to do with um, anything in terms of her health. And she moved... Uh, Fairly well at times as the match went on. She went corner to corner a couple times. But extended rallies, you know, a long one, she didn't have too many of those in that match. I think she's going to try to avoid that. Um, but I don't think she would have come and played uh, this tournament if she didn't feel like she had at least a chance to uh, to compete. And that means, 
you know, being able to be in good enough shape. She looks pretty trim, um, trimmer than I've seen her in his comeback in some ways. And uh, the serve had some erratic moments, but when she hit uh, hit it properly and hit it the way she can, she hit a lot of aces and looked pretty strong. So her her platform it can rise pretty quickly, <laughs> and mm-hmm. you just never you never quite know. This is obviously a surface in some ways, which is more of a challenge because it does extend rallies. But also maybe in some ways it's better for her knee because it takes some of the pressure off um, with the uh, without the pounding of the hard courts. So we'll see how it goes. Uh, obviously, she's a true underdog now, which is a very rare thing for a Serena Williams uh, tournament. But uh, you know, she's definitely capable of winning a few rounds. And, and if everything just goes just right and her body stays together, she could somehow pull it off. I'm, I wouldn't be I wouldn't be amazed. I'd be surprised, but not amazed. Yeah, it's uh, it's extraordinary uh, that she's coming into the French Open and people see her as a, a player who's maybe not as comfortable on the surface. And then you look through her career numbers and she was in the finals just a few years ago and she's, she's won it three times. I know she was uh, considering uh, strongly considering skipping the French and waiting for Wimbledon, but here she is. And because she is there, she's certainly a threat. Uh, I want to put you on the spot before we let you go. <laughs> I suppose you can dodge the questions if you want, but do you have picks on uh, the women's and men's side as a winner? And uh, we'll start with the women. Uh, who are you taking right now? Uh, for the French Open title, you know, I, I really got to tell you. I mean, I think women's—it's just a fool's errand to try to predict these things at this point on that side. I think That's the men's a much, a much, a much more rational process <laughs> at this point. And I, you know, I felt—I mean, I watched Djokovic win in Madrid. I was down there for most of the tournament. Um, I just feel like he's got a right, the right sort of uh, dose of tennis coming in. Didn't play great, obviously, in the hard court swing by his standards by any means, but also means he didn't play that much tennis. Um, I think he knows how to peak. He knows how to beat Rafa. He, uh, if team can pull it together, they might have a great semifinal. Um, we'll see how that goes. But I'm going to go with Djokovic. I think he's got a lot to play for. And I think he knows how to handle it. And um, But it could be some great tennis to get there. Excellent. Well, uh, Christopher, thank you so much uh, for joining us on the program. And I know it's a, a very late hour uh, over there in Paris, too. So we uh, really appreciate, appreciate you coming on. Hey, good luck to y'all. Good luck with your podcast, and uh, always great to talk to the neighbors of the north, or in this case, I guess the neighbors to the to the west, from where we are now. Yeah. <laughs> that's uh, that's correct, and we'd love to have you again uh, down the line sometime. All the best, guys. That was Christopher Clary of the New York Times, and you can find him on Twitter at Christoph Clary C L A R E Y. So. I don't know too many surprises from that interview, but uh, great uh, insight on Roger Federer, of course. And a lot of people are taking Novak Djokovic to win this title. I was, yeah, a little bit surprised. I was expecting the standard sort of boilerplate Rafa Nadal uh, response, which I got to be honest, that's what I'm I'm going with as well. <laughs> no disrespect to Novak and what he's trying to achieve. I mean, going for a, a fourth straight Grand Slam is just mind-boggling. And the fact that he's already done that once in his career, um, you know, Roger's never done that. Rafa's never done that. Uh, you know, Rod Laver's done that. And, and as Christopher mentioned, he did it, you know, twice and in the same calendar year, which yes. yeah, I admit kind of has a little bit of a, uh, a cooler sort of uh, aspect to it. But who, who cares? If you hold all, all four Grand Slams, that's to me just mind-blowing. And if Novak can do that twice then that definitely is going to stir up more of that goat debate that oh, I don't it's... like getting involved in because I think all three are fantastic. <laughs> that's right. And I don't think we can judge until they've retired anyways. But uh, So that surprised me a little bit. And, uh, boy, you could really tell that Christopher's a writer, just the way that he was describing sort of the scenes from uh, when he was with Federer over in, in Switzerland training and uh, really painting a, a vivid picture there. So uh, really uh, happy he was able to join us. And uh, he came in clutch for us tonight.
He really did. Uh, it was a fairly last second ad, well, last hour ad, because uh, things uh, changed. Uh, we were hoping to have a certain guest, a certain ATP player. Uh, but Mike, as you've said, uh, we are expecting to have him next week. Yeah, he had a little difficulty, this unnamed uh, top ATP player with uh, some travel uh, going on. Didn't quite get in on time and, and had been traveling for quite some time. But um, promises for next week. So we're looking forward to that. And, and we're going to hold on to that secret just a little bit longer. But uh, yes, again, yeah, big thanks to Christopher Clary, who literally came in at the last minute to, uh, to save us this week. And um, some interesting discussion. Now, if we're going to put him on the spot for his French Open picks, mm-hmm. I guess we've got to put ourselves out there too. That's fair. And so on that note, I'm going to put you on the spot and, uh, and you go first. Sure. Well, if we're starting on the men's side uh, and we have to pick a winner, if I'm being forced to pick a winner, um, I'm just not venturing away from the guy who, with his first round win, is now 87-2 and two on this surface uh, at these grounds. Uh, Rafael Nadal is a different type of animal in a best of five on clay. He's already a complete, complete animal on clay to begin with in the best two of three format, but best three of five. Only twice in his career has he been dethroned here. Robin Soderling was the enormous surprise, and I know Novak Djokovic did it in 2015. Nadal was not himself in 2015. You look through the course of his career, that was by far the worst uh, calendar year of his career. Uh, he was having uh, all, si- all types of difficulties with his confidence um, and had anxiety on the court. I-, I don't see that from him now. I will say if Novak had gutted out a win uh, in Rome in the lead-up, if Novak had won that match where he was clearly physically tired and the less fresh of the two, if he had beaten Nadal on that day, I would be picking Djokovic. But Nadal, I think, regained his confidence with that match. And he has a pretty nice kind of cookie-cutter draw, honestly, through the first week, which I I think can really allow him to get his feet wet and uh, ultimately hoist a a record 12th title at the French Open. Yeah, I agree. If Novak had won in Rome, that would have changed things for me, too. I mean, that's just, you know, that's to be expected. We go on the most recent results. What have you done for me lately? Mm -hmm. And the fact that, uh, you know, Rafa won that in two of the sets, he won them so emphatically. Um, that uh, you gotta you gotta give him credit for that, and he says he's feeling healthy, and he says he's feeling full of energy, and so those are you know dangerous things to be hearing from him. And he just destroyed that draw in Rome. I mean, he was bageling guys left, right, and center, and yep. so uh, I, I think he had something to prove, as we mentioned last week, and and he did that. So to me, that being said, you know, depending on how much time both he and Novak spend on court, uh, that'll play into it as well. Yeah, and, that can and, be a factor for sure. And as Christopher said, I mean, Novak has uh, has done it before, so. He, he does have the knowledge and the confidence that uh, that he could do that again. Um, so I, I go with Rafa as well for my big pick. And then in terms of dark horses, I mean, almost, yeah, almost everybody else seems to be a dark horse. Mm-hmm. Uh, Alexander Zverev, who's, who's seated fifth. Uh, but I'm sorry, I, I feel like he does fall into the dark horse category because he hasn't made it past the quarterfinals still of a Grand Slam. And, and that he's only accomplished once, which was a year ago here in Paris. He did not have a great start to the tournament. Uh, even him himself and his own fans would would agree. Uh, being taken to five sets by by John Millman and nothing against the Australian, but on a clay court uh, and, and given Zverev's you know previous success at Masters level events on the surface, to me that was quite shocking. Uh, you know maybe uh, the transition from from winning a clay court uh, final last week and, and maybe a little bit tired. I don't know. Yeah. But uh, I I kind of feel like Zverev is a dark horse and that if he won it, it would be quite surprising. Mm-hmm. Um, now, maybe that he's reunited with Jonathan Pinfield, our favorite reporter from Yorkshire, uh, at tweets uh, by JP. Uh, and they did have a little bit of banter back and forth in their they press did. conference today with, with Zverev saying if he does somehow manage to win in, in Roland Garros, 
that he's going to Yorkshire right away. That'll first be the thing first, he's going to do. <laughs> the first place he goes to. Yeah. So wouldn't that be something for that little town? But uh, he would be my, my dark horse pick uh, despite his seeding. And if I had to go for one more, I'd say Gael Monfils has been playing well this year. Has a nice draw as well. Could see Verdasco in the third round. Maybe Zverev in the, um, in the oh my goodness, uh, round of 16, sorry. And, uh, and and so I think he could get on a run. And gosh, he's just so much fun to watch, too. I'd love to see him go deep here. Yeah, absolutely. And Clary mentioned, of course, this might be one of the final kicks at the can for uh, Gamal Feast to really make a deep run uh, at a Grand Slam. And if it's going to happen again for him, it will be uh, on the French Open, Clay being his favorite surface. I have a couple names. Uh, we'll start with the 2016 French Open winner, Stan Favrinka. It's Rare to see the number 24 next to his name, but it's good that he is back and seated. We were talking, I know, earlier uh, in the season when he was unseated and having these nightmare draws. And we yeah. remember we had like Milo Stan as a first round match, which is just pretty unbelievable. It, it took him forever to get back to being seated. Yes. And now I think it really gives him the opportunity, maybe not in this tournament, who knows, but throughout the rest of 2019, to start getting some easier draws finally, start getting deeper, building up the points, and Definitely. and maybe we will see him have some deeper runs at the slams as he progresses because, yeah, what a brutal start to the season. He was getting rough draws every week, it felt like. Yeah, no kidding. Uh, I think he prefers a best-of-five format. He's just one of those players that likes to play his way into matches. Uh, times I've seen him be down two sets to one and, and really turn it on and hit that next gear. He has a curious draw. Christian Guerin is going to be a tough second-rounder. Then you have a couple guys who are just out of form like Dimitrov and Chilic. Uh, I would be very interested to see Tsitsipas Vavrinka fourth round clash at the French Open. I think that would be very high level tennis and Vavrinka lives for uh, the big matches and the big stage. He's capable of, uh, to me, maybe reaching a quarterfinal. Another name I'm looking at, uh, Diego Schwartzman hasn't been playing his best throughout the clay court season, but he finally turned it on in Rome. He had a great chance to beat Novak Djokovic in the semifinal there, kind of let it slip away. Uh, if he can battle his way likely past uh, Philippe Kohlschreiber in that third round, that could be a very compelling fourth round match potentially with Roger Federer. And I think he would give Federer fits because he takes the ball early and gets so many balls back. Long extended rallies could be uh, tough on the 37-year-old. So uh, those are my two dark horse picks to maybe make a run in to the second week or at least have a chance to do so now if we switch over to the women's side um and this is really gonna make us look bad in two weeks time when <laughs> when neither of our picks you know Ooh. probably even come close yeah um I, I mean pre-tournament i was gonna go with with kiki burdens just because i i feel like you know she's the next player sort of due to have that grand slam moment uh we had mentioned carolina pliskova as well yeah. last week but i was really feeling uh burdens on the clay and uh, when I look at, at her draw, it doesn't sort of discourage me from uh, from saying that. But how is she going to handle that that pressure that undoubtedly she must be feeling? Because she's no longer kind of, I don't think, flying under the radar. I think people have realized, hey, over the last few years, she's had considerable amount of success on clay, including a semifinal appearance here in Paris before. So um, it's uh, how does she handle, you know, not being uh, sort of an underdog in that sense? And she's seated fourth. She's right up there. So we'll see what, uh, you know, a, a, a match against Bencic uh, potentially in the round of 16 would be really interesting. And I would feel pretty good about whoever came out of that one. Um, uh, in terms of a, a dark horse pick for me, um, Marketa Vondrazova, who is uh, much younger and, and unproven in, in a sense. But uh, I, I think she's had some solid results as well. And she's got a great um, section of the draw also to get a few early round wins potentially under her belt 
And and to me, that's a real dark horse, you know, going there. Yeah. But on the women's side, I mean, look at uh, Yelena Ostapenko a couple of years ago. I don't think anybody saw that uh, coming either. So I think Paris is is ripe for that kind of, um, you know, possibility as well. Mm-hmm. Am I allowed to pick a dark horse to win the title? <laughs> You're allowed to do whatever you want. Well, I mean, that's true. It's just you and me here, right? <laughs> so no show. one's no one's going to stop us. So go for it. <laughs> uh, Marketa Vondrasova is one of those names I've had circled. Um, you know what? I'm not going to pick her to win the title, but uh, as you said, this young gun, flashy player who can uh, at times just get streaky, hit people off the court. She hasn't had you know huge like a huge sort of breakthrough win like a Bianca at, at Indian Wells, but she was in the final of Istanbul uh, just a few weeks ago. I think she's playing great. Tennis. And as you mentioned, I think she just has a really, really nice navigable draw uh, in her quarter to maybe comfortably get to the fourth round quarters and be challenging Karolina Pliskova. Uh, I've talked about a potential breakthrough for Karolina Pliskova. I'm not sure it comes here. Um, I, I do think she's going to be a future Grand Slam title winner. Uh, I don't think it comes here yet. Um, as much as I want to pick the dark horse to win for Vondrasova, I will go uh, with the safe pick. If there's a better opportunity for a player to repeat as a second uh, French Open champion back-to-back, I-, I think this is the perfect moment for Simona Halep. You look at her quarter at the bottom, there are no players that really scare me on clay. I mean, Arena Sabalenka, a fantastic player. She doesn't play her best on clay. She hits people off the court on the hard court. Uh, Daria Kasakina has not played her best tennis. I, I just think she can really comfortably work her way uh, through those first few rounds. And then who's going to really stop her after that? Serena Williams, we, you know, a huge question mark uh, in terms of her conditioning, how strong she's going to be on this surface. Uh, Naomi Osaka doesn't have the clay court experience and pedigree. I, I think Simona Halep could absolutely make the finals here. And to me, the, the scary players are, are on the other half the draw with Pliskova, Stevens, and uh, Kiki Burtons. Yeah, and if she makes the finals again, she's already been there three times before in her career, so it's like, you yeah. know... Now n- the pressure's off, right? Right, nothing new for her at all. She's mentioned the pressure's off since winning that slam. No, it's funny to me, like, she won that slam, that first slam a year ago, and she can say the pressure's off, I think I can go deeper, right? And then you look conversely at someone like Caroline Wozniacki, who also won her first slam not too long ago, and it's been a real tough go for her since that point. And she went out again here early in the first round, uh, along with another former Grand Slam champion, Angelique Kerber. Mm -hmm. I don't think either of those, despite their high seedings, despite the fact they've won previous slams, I don't think either of those losses really surprised either one of us, did they? No, I I certainly don't think so. Angelique Kerber... She probably shouldn't have entered. Uh, I, I don't think she was physically ready to to compete at the French Open. Granted, I understand why uh, you want to give yourself a chance, and it's a pretty nice, hefty paycheck uh, to be able to play. I don't think she was quite ready. Caroline Wozniacki has never been strong on clay, but uh, it's been a significant drop-off since that 2018 Australian Open win. Uh, so I hope she can uh, regain some of that form we saw from you know a year and a half ago. I just want to highlight a couple matches to watch, and then I'll mention one other Canadian, but a couple matches that seem to be brewing potential third round between Alina Svitolina and Garbina Muguruza. A couple fantastic players who are not playing their best tennis right now uh, could be good for them uh, to not have uh, the microscope under them, not be the focus of attention as favorites at this event and, and maybe just comfortably relax and try and best, play your best tennis. Yeah, maybe redemption for one of them here. Mm-hmm. And uh, neither had an easy first-round matchup. I mean, Garbine lost the first set uh, 7-5 to Taylor Townsend before she righted the ship. And Svitolina, I mean, going up against Venus Williams is is never going to be easy for anyone. And she handled that really well, winning 6-3, 6-3. So those two are one win away from facing each other. That would be a really great third-round match. For one of them, it would be kind of continued, I guess, disappointment. 
and, and for the other, an opportunity to hopefully, you know, springboard from that and, and keep keep going. Yeah, that's uh, that's correct. Another couple I'm looking at, Kiki Mladenovic potentially facing Karolina Pliskova third round. Another one to watch for, I think, there. Maybe Joe Conta versus Kiki Burtons. That's another one that I think uh, could be very interesting. We should mention Jeannie Bouchard. Uh, she fell in her first round match to Lysia Serenko, 6-2, 6-2. I think this was a product of being away from the game for just a little too long, not getting an opportunity of a tune-up on clay. Yeah, that scoreline is exactly, I think, what realistically, you know, we, we should have expected. And that's not to fault Jeannie. She just hasn't been back. I mean, Bianca's been training for quite some time now already. Um, has more practice under her belt, probably in more game shape, ready to be playing for me, Jeannie, I didn't see anything that indicated she had picked up a racket until, you know, not too long ago, to be honest. Mm-hmm. And so that's a, a big ask, certainly. I mean, those are two players that while they both missed, you know, about two months from the tour, I had very different feelings for both coming in. I felt like Bianca, if she could get into her first match uh, and squeeze it out uh, and get back to feeling comfortable on the court, that there's a possibility there that at least she could, you know, build from there and, and have at least maybe a bit of a run. Whereas for Jeannie Bouchard, I don't know, at best, I was thinking maybe she could, you know, end up getting a, a set off of Serenko, which is not an easy first match back to the tour. But on, on clay especially, Bianca is a much more solid clay court player who admittedly it's her favorite surface. And for Jeannie, I would say definitely not not the case. And in fact, I was surprised Jeannie didn't even wait or waited, sorry, or couldn't wait <laughs> rather yeah. for the grass court season. Yes, well, uh, at least she will have the time off and hopefully can start a training block for the grass, maybe a little sooner than some other players. And there's no loss here in terms of ranking. She wasn't defending anything from uh, the French last year, so uh, she will be uh, still within the top 80. And I think for her now, she's got to go out and find a new coach. I mean, Michael Joyce isn't yeah. there anymore. They parted ways recently. Um, you know, Jeannie was working with uh, Canada's Fed Cup captain and former Canadian tennis player Heidi El Tabak, uh, sort of informally while in Paris, and the two are are kind of close and, and buddies off the court as well. And I think you need someone who's going to kind of kick your butt a little bit as your coach and, um, and, and not be too friendly with you. So I think that was great for Heidi to sort of step in there and fill the void right now. But I think for Jeannie Bouchard, it's, it's important that she finds someone who's the right fit for her. And uh, she's been through several coaches, uh, several high profile coaches as well. And none of them have really seemed to, uh, you know, mesh as we hope they would, or as she probably hoped they would either. So you know, wishing her that she can, uh, you know, just find the right fit moving forward. Yeah, certainly. One other Canadian we do have, not in the singles draw, but in the doubles draw, uh, we can be watching for her is Gabriela Dabrowski. She will be competing in the women's doubles and the mixed doubles, and she won the mixed with Maddie Pavic back in 2017. Uh, so they have reignited that partnership, uh, and certainly another great opportunity for Gabby, who has been playing some quality doubles uh, as of late. So there are other Canadians outside of the singles. We'll keep our eye on Gabby and keep you updated there. And it's, it's sorry, it's funny how, you know, in the past, Daniel Nestor was kind of like the one that we could count on for the best chance at a slam. Again, mm-hmm. doubles. And here we are, I think, for right now, Gabby Dabrowski still right now, at least in this trust, certainly with the amount of Canadians who have already left or unable to play. Yeah. Uh, again, the double specialist, Gabby Dabrowski, is our best chance to, to win a slam. And she's in two different draws. So, yes. you know, that gives her a little extra extra chance. Yes, definitely some opportunity there. You are listening to Matchpoint Canada. Find us on Twitter at Matchpoint Can. You can find me at Ben Lewis SN590 and find Mike at Pro Tennis. 
tennis fan. We will wrap up the show with another Rogers Cup ticket giveaway. And Mike, I'm happy to say we had 54 names in our draw for this week. You know the date, I believe, uh, for these pair of tickets in Toronto. Yep, this is for Monday, August 5th, uh, which is the opening day of main draw play. It's for the evening session. And normally they try and put a marquee matchup on center court for the 7 p.m. start. So that should be really good. Um, So it's, again, Monday evening, Monday, August 5th. And we've got a pair of tickets. And, uh, again, fantastic response this week. That's great. So thanks to all the people that retweeted, liked, and put themselves in contention. Uh, How are we going to do this uh, this week? Uh, Well, we have uh, 54 names. uh, Our draw between 1 and 54, I'm going to ask you to pick a number. And uh, I'll take a look at who our winner is. Okay. Well, the Habs fan in me is going to go with number 33 for Patrick Waugh, my favorite goalie and player growing up. So (laughs) who do we have at number 33 this week? Number 33 is Kelly. Uh, Kelly on Twitter is at Wacky World of K. You are our winner for the week. Hope you are listening to the program. If not, uh, we are going to contact you uh, after the show and make sure you get uh, that pair of tickets. Uh, But congrats to Kelly. You have two tickets for the Monday, August 5th evening session at Rogers Cup in Toronto. And I know next week we will do the same, give away two more tickets. And if you want to get in on the draw, you have to give us a retweet of our latest episode. And that'll be for the Tuesday, August 6th daytime session. So make sure you're free for that Tuesday. And that's generally the day when the top eight seeds who've had a bye in the first round uh, will hopefully be having their first round match. So you'll see some big names on court that day. Fantastic. Well, again, a big thank you to Christopher Clary of the New York Times, our guest on the program this week. And we are very hopeful to have an exciting ATP player for next week. You've been listening to Match Point Canada. We will talk to you next time. Well, I started out down a dirty Started out all alone, and the sun went down as across the hill, and the town lit up.